Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 John 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5 this morning. Uh, we are nearing the end of our series in 1 John, uh, talking about the fullness of joy that's available to us in Christ. We've got three more weeks to go as we wrap up in chapter 5. Uh, I have a question for the rest of you this morning to start out as well. The question is, do you remember where you were on August 21st, 2017? Do you remember where you were August 21st, 2017? Uh, I can remember exactly where I was. Uh, I was on a boat in the middle of Deep Creek Lake on a family vacation. Do you remember where you were on that day? Because there was a very significant event that took place that day. An event that some people have described as unearthly, uh, life-changing, like staring into the eye of God. An event that left people both speechless and yelling out in wonder at the same time. Uh, An event that, that left people grasping for words of how do I describe what I've seen, an event that that people still talk about today, an event that I saw from the boat we were on in Deep Creek Lake and said, meh, that was overrated. See, August 21st, 2017 was the last time that a solar eclipse happened in the United States. And you might ask, well, why did the same event cause some people to be speechless with wonder and others like me to say, yeah, that was okay. That was okay. Well, because where I was at, the the moon didn't fully pass in front of the sun, but only partially passed in front of the sun. Whereas where other people were, if you were in what's called the path of totality, the moon fully passed in front of the sun for a moment and darkened it completely. See, the the reality is that when it comes to a solar eclipse, it matters where you're at for what you end up seeing. Where you are affects what you see in that moment. And, And we might recognize there's a similar thing, a similar truth when it comes to spiritual realities. I mean, we we could just ask, why is it? Why is it that some people when they think about God and his word and his commands and his people see objects or reasons for joy and others look at the exact same things with indifference or or maybe even anger? Why is it that some people can look at this world and all that it has to offer to us and say, Jesus is better And other people can look at Jesus and say, I would much rather have this world and all that it has to offer. So when it comes to these things, how we see them is not so much a matter of where we're at, but what we believe. Or or here's another way you might put that for this morning. That faith in Christ, what we believe, changes what we see and what we enjoy. Faith in Christ changes what we see and what we enjoy. And and as we look at 1 John 5, part of what we're going to see is that John, while he's hitting on some of the same things we've already heard him hit on, is coming at these things through the angle of faith or belief. 
What do we believe and how does that affect us? What we see, what we enjoy, how we live. And this morning as we look at these first five verses, we're going to look at, first of all, faith's origin. Where does it come from? What causes it? And then faith's effects. How does it change what we see and what we enjoy according to what John says in the verses? So let's pray together and then read in 1 John chapter 5. Father, we, we look to you this morning knowing that your word is powerful. That's why we give out Bibles to sixth graders. That's why we open the Bible every Sunday we gather. That your words are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to do what none of us can do. And so as we open your word again, we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit as we look over this passage written by John many years ago, but ultimately written by you to us as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First John 5, starting in verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We could see just first of all in this passage, I think, faith's origin. Where where does faith come from? What, What is it in part? And we might say faith in Christ is from God. That it's what we find immediately in verse 1 when we read, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This is something Joel hit on last week when he emphasized the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation and our faith as the one who ultimately causes it and brings it about. But we need to see it again this morning because it sets up everything else we'll talk about from this passage. And the first thing we might see as we look at this verse is just simply, John is not talking about faith in general, as if we just need to believe, and belief in itself is a good thing, but faith specifically in Christ. That faith in Christ, faith in Jesus, changes what we see. We might think of faith in Jesus as the lens through which we are called to see everything else, everything else. Five years ago, uh, I realized my eyesight is not what it was meant to be anymore. Uh, I'd started to realize this over a period of time as my vision started to get a little bit blurrier, but then one day I had to take one of these tests that you're probably familiar with. You got the big letters up top, small letters. Uh, No one can ever see the small letters, but you're supposed to at least be able to see the big letters. I could maybe read the the top line and the bottom line, Uh, not even anymore, probably without my glasses. And they informed me, Kyle, your eyesight's pretty bad. Uh, You need glasses to be able to see as you were meant to see. But what I needed in that moment was not simply any pair of glasses. It it would not have helped me to go to Target, buy the coolest-looking reading glasses that I thought would make me look the smartest, and put them on. I still would have not been able to see. What I needed was a specific prescription to enable me to see as I was meant to see. 
as humans what we need to be able to see in this life as God wants us to see, as he's meant us to see, is not just faith in anything, but faith in Christ. And it's faith in Christ that then enables us to see how we were meant to see, or how God calls us, wants us to see. And we might ask then as well, okay, well, where does that faith come from? That faith in Jesus is caused by God. It's why John can say in this verse, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, that's what's happening right now if you believe in Jesus. Everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ, present, has been born of God, past. What God has done in our lives is what causes us to be able, enable us to reach out and grasp Christ by faith and believe in him. Believe he's the son of God. Believe he died the death that I should have died. Believe he lived the life, the perfect life that I couldn't live. Believe that he raised from the dead, conquering death, that he's my advocate before the Father. If, if you believe that, it's because of God's work in your life, my life, enabling us to grasp out and grab Christ by faith. I, I think one of the, the greatest examples of this is actually found in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel. And so you've got to picture this scene with me, and maybe you've read this before or heard this scene before. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 37. And God takes Ezekiel out to this wide open valley. So maybe just picture our church, even though it's not a valley, chairs empty, the auditorium empty. And in that moment, God shows Ezekiel this vision where there's simply bones everywhere. Dry, dead bones all over the place, covering everything. And he asks Ezekiel, hey, hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And, and I love Ezekiel's response because it's almost like he knows, uh, this feels like a trick question. Uh, oh, sovereign Lord, you know. Right? Like, what a great answer. God, I, I don't, you know. I don't know. And God says to Ezekiel, hey, start to speak my words over these bones. Prophesy. And Ezekiel starts to speak God's words over these bones. And the bones start to rattle and the bones start to come together, and tendons form on the bones, and muscles surround the bones, and blood vessels come on, and, and then skin covers the bones, and then all of a sudden these bones start to breathe, and they stand up, and it says there's this vast army now. Where there was dead, dry bones, there's a vast army. Think, what an incredible picture to see. That's the exact image of what God does when he saves a person takes dead bones and makes them into a living, breathing person. And, and I, I think about that scene. I'm like, what, what would it have been like if one of the people standing in that army looked around and started to say, hey, look, look at how great I can walk. Aren't, aren't I awesome? Hey, look at how high I can jump. I'm pretty great, right? Hey, hey look at what deep breaths I can take. I'm pretty great, aren't I? And I think in that moment, God would have just looked on and said, dude, dude you, five minutes ago, you are dead, dry bones. Everything you have is because of me. Everything you are is because of me. Look at how great I am. See, all of our faith, all of our spiritual growth, every good work we carry out is not a reason for us to say, look, look at me. Look at what I've done, but to say, look at God and what he's done. Now, we, 
we set all that up because it's so important for us to see then as we talk about how faith affects our lives and what we see, which is what we're going to look at next in this passage. That faith affects, first of all, faith in Christ changes how we see other people. If, if we continue in 1 John 5, 1 through 2, we see this when John says, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. But faith, first of all, teaches us that we should see those who know Christ as God's children. I, I think about that, and I think we, we tend to emphasize fairly often the importance of, if you believe in Jesus, seeing yourself as God's child. That that's your identity, that that's the lens you should see yourself through. But I wonder if we emphasize often enough the truth that we should see everyone else who knows and trusts in Jesus as God's child as well. And that if, we, if that was the primary lens through which we saw one another, that it would start to change how we serve and care for and talk to and listen and interact with each other. Like, just, just stop and think with me for a moment. The, the person sitting to the left of you, to the right of you, in front of you, behind you, the, the person you may make small talk with this morning, the person you may say hi to in the lobby, the, if that person knows Christ, they are a living, breathing miracle. God's very own child. And, and if we really started to see each other that way, how would that impact and change how we then interacted with one another as we gather and spend time with each other? Apart from faith in Christ, the, the church is prone to just reflect the world. And what I mean by that is we're prone to just be around the people we like and avoid the people we don't like. But faith in Christ teaches us, yeah, I might not like everyone in the church, but they are God's children, and that should be the primary lens through which I view them and how I treat them and how I interact with them. But here, here's why I also want to draw out be an implication from this, not something John says explicitly, but an implication, that faith in Christ doesn't just change how we see those in the church, but those outside the church. The faith in Christ we see, teaches us to see those who don't know Christ as in need of the gospel. Like, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you haven't trusted him, your most desperate need is the exact same as my most desperate need. To trust Jesus. To know him. To know that he alone saves us. See, uh, apart from faith in Christ, we tend to think that there's something better in us as Christians than those who don't know Christ. But through faith in Christ, we recognize that the only thing that's different about us is that God has caused us to be born again and believe in Jesus. A apart from faith in Christ, I think there's even this tendency to see those who don't know Christ as though they are our enemies in some way. As though we're ultimately fighting against them. Those who don't know Christ, though we may not always agree, th though we may stand opposed on many of the issues of the day, th though there may be lots of ways where we butt heads and where maybe they reject us or look down on us, 
They are not our enemies. They are people who desperately need to hear the gospel just as we, we do. Because that's the only hope we have. That's the only thing that saves us. There was this uh, video, maybe you saw it, that was uh, circulating a little bit earlier this month from a Little League baseball game in the build-up to the Little League World Series. And in this game, there's a a kid named Jarvis who gets up to bat. He's getting ready to bat, and and the pitch comes in. And I I don't know how fast uh, 11- and 12-year-olds can throw the ball, but I would guess 70 miles an hour, maybe more. And this pitch drills him straight in the head, and he drops, drops, drops to the ground. Now stop for a moment. Think with me. If that happens in the major league, what's going to happen next if that player's okay? Right? Eight times out of ten, maybe more, he's getting up and charging the mound. It's about to go down. Right? F- flashback to this little league game. Jarvis shakes it off, gets up, takes his base, standing on first base, and he looks over, and, and the pitcher who just nailed him, beamed him in the head, is standing there with his head down, like kind of visibly shaken. And Jarvis gets off the base, walks over, walks up to the pitcher's mound, gives him this big hug, and says, you're doing great, man. Let's go. Let's go. What an incredible picture. Like, Jarvis knew, though we are opposed to each other, like, we're both trying to win this game. We're we're not enemies. We're not enemies. And I'm going to care for you as if you're not my enemy. Those who do not know Christ and do not know the gospel may stand opposed to us in so many ways. You may feel like you get beamed in the head by people who don't know Christ at times, but they are not ultimately your enemy, my enemy. There's someone who we are called to fight for that they may come to know Christ as well. I think of Ephesians 6.12 where Paul tells us our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In a a culture and a world that is so polarized and divided, we as followers of Christ desperately need to remember our fight is not ultimately against other people, but our fight is against spiritual powers for people to come to know Christ to come to find the hope that we have found in Christ. And that, that when that's the case and we're seeing that way, then we don't enjoy being right. We don't enjoy winning an argument. We don't enjoy getting the last point in. But we know that there are people we're called to love for, or love, pray for, proclaim the gospel to, and hope that they find the same hope we found in Christ. Faith in Christ changes how we start to see people, both within the church and outside the church, we could say. And it also starts to change how we see God, or should change how we see God. That should probably have come first, but we're just kind of following in order of John's passage here. The faith in Christ changes how we see God. Three times in the first three verses of chapter 5, we hear that those who've been born again and believe in Jesus love God. They love the Father. They love God. They love God. That part of what it means to put our faith in Jesus, be born again, is that we've got a new heart that now loves God. Loves God. Not perfectly, not all the time, but but that slowly and surely, up and down, back and forth, loves God. 
because through Christ, we see God as he really is. Outside of Jesus, we'll always come away with a distorted picture of God. But through Jesus, we get the perfect picture of God. He's holy and loving. He's just and merciful. He's all-powerful, and he cares deeply for you. Like, apart from Christ, we won't see God. We'll, We'll get a distorted image, a distorted picture, but through Christ, we get the perfect picture of God. It's why a passage like Hebrews 1, 3 can save Jesus. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. And we find a God who has chased us, pursued us, moved heaven and earth, and given up his son to rescue us. We find a God who has a never-failing, never-stopping, never-giving-up type of love. We find a God who, rather than giving me what I deserve, punishment for my sin, gives me what I don't deserve, grace and goodness day after day after day after day. And when we start to see God more and more in that way, our hearts respond in love for him. And as our hearts respond in love for him, then we see God's commands uh, as they were meant to be seen, or we see God's commands as they really are. In verse 3, if you look back there, John is connecting love for God with obedience to his commands. This is not a new thing because you've heard it in John before where he says, if we love God, we obey him. Love for God expresses itself in obedience to his commands. But I I love the tagline John adds on this verse, verse 3. And his commandments are not burdensome. Apart from Christ, our natural tendency, I don't know if you feel this way, our natural tendency is to feel like God's commands are a burden. There's something we have to keep, not something we get to keep. Like, like, apart from faith in Christ, we, we might see God's commands in these ways. I, I have to desperately try to obey him in order to prove that I'm good enough and that he should love me. That's legalism, and that's a crushing burden that will destroy you. And through faith in Christ, you are freed from that burden because Jesus has obeyed perfectly in your place. But, but apart from faith in Christ, here might be the other tendency, that we look at God's commands and we think those, his commands are holding me back. His commands aren't enabling me to have fun and enjoy this life as I want to. They're just holding me back. They're kind of a burden I have to bear. But through faith in Christ, we see that God is an incredibly good father. That his commands are not aimed at ruining our joy, but increasing our joy, lifting us up. Here's where you get to see what's in the bag. This is a very small, uh, so it doesn't quite work, but that's all right, very small parachute that I ordered on Amazon. Very small, you can tell. There are probably more than two ways, but I think if there are two ways that a parachute could be viewed and used. One is you could view this parachute and use it in such a way where it will weigh you down and hold you back. Like, if I strap this parachute to my chest and I tried to run out the halls right now, it would hold me back from being able to run as I'm meant to. 
or, or if I was foolish enough, granted, this is a pretty small one, but imagine a big one, to strap this on and jump in a pool this afternoon. It would weigh me down, causing me to sink. But you know, there's, there's another way to use a parachute, right? Where you're in the middle of the air, and in that case, the parachute is not the thing that is weighing you down. It's the very thing that is holding you up. Like, the parachute is not a burden in that case. It's the thing that you know, I most desperately need this to be able to enjoy life right now. Apart from faith in Christ, we'll view God's commands as if there's something that is weighing us down and holding us back. But through faith in Christ, we'll start to see God's commands are aimed at my good. They're aimed at my increasing my joy in him. Therefore, they are not a burden to bear. They're not burdensome. They're the very things that hold me up and increase my joy. To which I think we should ask, are there areas in your life right now where God is calling you to obey him in some way? And do you and I look at that and think, ah, oh, that's just something I have to do so God doesn't get me if I don't respond? Or do you look at that and you think, this is actually God leading me into greater joy? In, in your battles with sin right now, do you look at that and you think, this is just something I have to do because I'm a Christian and this is what Christians do? Or you think, this is God leading me into greater, greater joy as he calls me to say no to sin and yes to obeying him. See, faith in Christ will change how we view God, change how we view his commands. And, and then we could add to, that, add to that this point. Faith in Christ changes how we see the world. These are my favorite verses from this passage as I was reading it this past week. Verses 4 and 5, where John says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now we read those verses and we should immediately stop and ask, well, what does John mean by that word, the world? The Bible uses that word in different ways. What, what does John mean by that here? And we could flash back to 1 John 2.16, a passage that Ben taught on early in this series, and see John saying, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And, and based on that, we might come to this definition of what John means by the world. Anything at all that we want more than God. So if I don't have it, I want it more than him. Anything that if I do have it, I love it more than God. I need it more than God. Or anything at all that I think I need this more than God to be happy in this life. Anything I want more than God, love more than God, or think I need this more than God to be happy in this life. To which we should immediately recognize the world is an incredibly powerful force because every day you and I are tempted in all sorts of ways to want, love, and enjoy things more than God. Every single day, we're tempted to want, love, and enjoy things more than God. But faith in Christ changes how we see the world because, first of all, faith in Christ empties the world of its lore. The world tells us we need something more than Jesus to be happy. Comfort, power, success, money, fame, or even just a bag of chips. Right? You want to be happy? You need, you need this thing more than God himself. But faith in Christ looks 
at Jesus and says, nothing is better than him. The world and all it offers has nothing on him. Faith looks at Jesus and says, when compared with Jesus, all things are dim. Can you name anything we should want more than him? And when we're seeing in that way, the world and all it offers to us is emptied of its lore and its power. I'm not a big fisherman. In fact, I'm not really a fisherman at all. But I understand when it comes to fishing, part of what you're doing is putting a lure out there where you're trying to attract the fish to bite onto that lure so that you can pull them out of the water, whether to eat them or just to hold them up and snap a picture to send to all your friends. The lure is what tells the fish, you should want me. Are you feeling hungry? Then bite onto me. And if that fish bites onto the lure, immediately starts to get pulled out of the water where it should be and finds itself on land. But do you know what fish will never bite onto a lure? A fish that's already had its fill of minnows and worms. Right? Like a, a lure loses all its power if that fish is not hungry for something more. Instantly, it can't attract that fish away from the water, out of the water. The, the lure the world throws to us is that we need something more than Jesus to make us happy. But when we are saying, Jesus is better, he's all I need, I've tasted and seen he's good, the world has no power over you in that moment. No power. And this, this is part of why we as Christians need to be continually feasting on Christ through his word as we gather together as people, resting in his promises, delighting in his word, trusting his love. Because the more we feast on him and find him to be better, the less the world can pull at us. And yet if we're not feasting on him and finding him to be better, the more the world will be able to start to say, you, you need me, you need something I have to offer more than God. That's one way faith overcomes the world. And, and then here's the, the second. We see the world in light of the future. Faith looks out at this world and every single thing it has to offer and says, it's going to disappear one day. It's going to be gone. Like faith looks at this world and says all this world has to offer is like a sandcastle that we build up that one day the tide is coming in to wash away. It says everything that we gain in this life apart from Christ is ultimately temporary. And yet everything we have in Christ lasts forever. It says all the happiness I have in this life outside of Jesus will one day fade away. But all the happiness and joy I have in Christ will go on forever and ever and ever, growing greater and greater and greater. Faith looks at this world and says, why would I waste my life pursuing what is temporary and fading when I can spend my life knowing Christ, loving him, and obeying him, knowing that he lasts forever and all the joy I have in him lasts forever. Now, let, let's just take that and, and apply that to what does that look like in just like our day-to-day -day lives as we battle day in and day out? And maybe we think about one area where the world tempts us to kind of be lured away from God. I think of the approval of other people. That in all sorts of ways, day after day after day, we are being tempted 
to live, think, speak, and act in a way that gets other people to like us and approve of us. But faith in Christ looks at the approval of other people and says, I have God's approval in Christ. Like, I have God's approval in Christ. And that's so much better than what anyone else might think or say of me. Why would I spend my life chasing after what other people would say of me? And faith looks at the approval of other people and says, man, that can be gone in an instant. Like, that can disappear in a moment. People change opinions day by day. But the approval of God in Christ lasts forever. He'll never change his mind about me. He'll never turn his back on me. I will forever live under the approval of his smiling face. Why wouldn't I then live for him today? Any area in your life, you could do this. We could look at something in the world saying, this is better, you should want this more, and look at it and say, no, 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 Jesus is better. He lasts forever, so no thanks, world. I'll take him. I'll enjoy him. And as I do, I'll, I'll love God, I'll love other people, knowing that's where joy is ultimately found. But, but we might sit here and think, according to all that, or even just as I read this book of John, my, my faith is pretty weak at times. Like, I, I, I don't see and love other people as, as I should. I know that. I, I don't love God always like I should or, or obey his commandments like I should. The, the world does still pull me away from Christ at times, and I get entangled in its snares. And we start to think, well, man, my faith is so weak. And in that moment, what we need to be reminded of is what matters is not the strength of our faith, but who our faith is in. What matters is not how great our faith is, but where our faith lies. And our faith lies in Christ, the one who is victorious, the one who has overcome the world, the one who has defeated Satan, sin, and death. And it's because we're connected to him that we gain victory over those things. I want to introduce you, as we wrap up this morning, I want to introduce you to uh, Juan Toscano Anderson. I have a picture of him. Juan Toscano Anderson is a NBA champion. This past year, he overcame the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals and was victorious. And he will get a ring because he is a victor and a champion. And you might be like, well, I've never heard of Juan before. And that wouldn't surprise me because he played a total of eight minutes in the NBA Finals. He scored zero points, had three assists, and two turnovers. He almost did more to hurt his team than help his team. To which we think, well, how, how in the world did he overcome the Boston Celtics? How in the world was he an NBA champion? Why does he get a ring? because he was on the same team as this guy, Steph Curry, right? Steph Curry. And what mattered is not ultimately what Juan accomplished. If it was up to him, man, he would have lost. They would have got crushed. But what mattered was the fact that he was united to Steph Curry by virtue of being on the exact same team. And because Steph Curry won, Juan won. The exact same thing is true of us as Christians. That, that when our faith falters and we fall to the ground and we fail again and, and our eyes just feel like, man, I can't see clearly, we look back at Christ 
and we hear him saying, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We fix our eyes on him and we remember, we overcome because he already overcame. And as we have our eyes fixed on him in that way, we then continue to see other people, God, and this world in a whole new light. And we don't live for this world and what it has to offer, but we live to love God and love one another, knowing that's where true joy is found. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you for being our victor, our champion, the one who we can look to and know that no matter what life throws at us, no matter how often we trip and stumble and fall and fail, no matter how often our eyesight is blurry and we don't see things as we should, our eyes are on you and you are victorious. And because you are victorious, we can trust that we will be too. We love you. Praise in your name. Amen.